All right. So welcome back to another episode of Time Out with the Sports Doctor podcast. Uh, we have another very interesting guest for you on the show today. I am Ms. Mariko Gordon. Uh, Ms. Gordon is a chartered financial analyst, and she is the founder of Daruma Asset Management uh, with, that she founded in 1995 and ran until 2019, uh, where at its peak, uh, she was managing $2.5 billion in assets. So she brings a wealth of knowledge to the show today. Uh, welcome to the show. Very glad to have you here. This podcast is brought to you by Zero Gravity Skin, a prolific leader in the aesthetic devices market, delivering anti-aging, complexion clearing, hair growth, and pain management solutions across the globe. Featuring the Perfectio X, a two-in-one device which treats both pain and signs of aging and is actively working to reverse cell damage accumulated over time. Also, the Relaxio, which provides damaged cells with the vital energy necessary to quickly renew and recover in the most optimal way. For more information, please visit zerogravityskin.com and use code Dr. Derek 30 to receive 30% off your purchase. Again, that's zerogravityskin.com, promo code Dr. Derek 30. A pleasure to be here, Dr. Burgess. All right. So this, this is a special guest. So she's been featured by Wall Street Journal, also a guest speaker at the Warden School of Business at the University of Pennsylvania. So um, very glad to have you on the show. And if you could just start off by Colin telling us about your life and early career, what led you into financial, to be a financial analyst? So it's, um, I warned you about long stories, but <laughs> I'll, I'll try to keep it short. So I grew up uh, from, my mom is Japanese American and my dad is, you know, a wasp, classic white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. And, but they ran a rent-a-car franchise in the Caribbean. So I grew up in a business. So that's the other thing is my money management business was a small business. So that's where I have my interest in small business and my entrepreneurial kind of drive. Um, my interest in the stock market, I think, started both from my grandfather, who worked his way up. He came from Columbia, Tennessee, worked his way up from a hayseed messenger boy on Wall Street to becoming a partner in um, an odd lot firm and uh, had a seat on the exchange. So I grew up with these stories about the market. Um, and my mom uh, was really interested in the market as well, strangely. So I, because my dad died when I was 15, she subscribed to the American Association of Individual Investors and I would read their things because it was interesting to me. So I, I kind of got it from a lot of Business has always been fascinating and very alive for me. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the thing that people forget, that business is more, more like an animal. You know, it's, it's always changing, complex system, and that's intellectually engaging. I like the fact that you brought up that you grew up around business and you grew up mm -hmm. around money and hearing these talks, because I feel that that makes a huge difference. Mm -hmm. um, when you are... Growing up around money, you don't really even think about it because now we're having these conversations personally around my kids and I'll hear mm -hmm. them throw around the terms, you know, active versus passive and investments and, you know, oh, this person needs to get a coach, you know, uh -huh. and uh -huh. <laughs> these things were foreign to me up yeah. until really the last five years or so. But the uh -huh. fact that my kids are growing up hearing these discussions and hearing us talking about it and talking about investments and um, should we buy this or should we not buy that? And then also one funny story is that them learning what money means and the value of money, because mm -hmm. what we'll do now is give them a certain amount of money when they go on vacation and say, mm -hmm. this is what you have to spend, spend it as you may. 
So they'll right. go day one, you're at the souvenir shop and, oh, how much is this? Now, I don't think I really want to put that much uh -huh. on, you know, right. so we're trying to teach them the value of money versus just saying, hey, can I have, can I have, can I have? So, um, and that, you know, we were talking about the relationship with your money. Yeah. And if you're, some people are taught to fear money or mm -hmm. hold on to it really tight where mm -hmm. others are taught that, hey, money moves and, you know, just let it flow and assets versus actually having cash in your hand is a whole different ball game. So mm -hmm. um, yeah, do you have anything you wanna to add to that? Yeah, I think it's really um, important to, to have a multi-generational idea about money because the, the in families that don't talk about money, um, it can create a lot of anxiety if there's issues and, but like the kids can pick up on that. Or like I had my mother, my 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 ex at the, at the time my husband at the time my kids and we all met at the lawyer's office to do our wills and try and things like that and it was very unusual mm -hmm. that the conversation around money was that open and multi-generational and I was stunned because I thought you know my mom and kids were adults and you know it's like this needs to be talked about because it causes problems later if you if you if you don't get comfortable with it. And the other thing, just about growing up with or without money, you know, in in my my parents had their their the rental car, but it was it turned into a failure for them. So I saw what it's like to to fail and then to start other businesses along the way. And I think that took away some of the fear. You know, it's just sort of like okay, it doesn't work. You try something else. You know, mm -hmm. um, and that was a very important moment for me. All right. Um, talk to us about Daroma Asset Management and how you started that and what it was. Okay. So it was an institutional money management firm, which meant that my, my clients were big public pension funds um, and uh, like Arkansas teachers or LA fire and police um, foundations endowments. So these were, and they, and what I did is I picked a concentrated portfolio of US small cap stocks. So these were smaller companies um, and it was a portfolio of no more than 35 stocks with an average holding period of, I think it was around 36 months. Um, and so these were long buy and hold, really, you know, having, a, 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 these are real stock picks. This is very old school kind of bottom up uh, investing. And um, I started it, I had been part of another money management startup for five years where we went from uh, 4 million to, to, to a billion, um, didn't like the way it was being, you know, I kind of had to do my own thing um, and literally started with zero assets mm -hmm. under management, you know, and, but I had that, our first client that I got, which was not somebody I managed money for, stayed with us the whole like 28 years or 20, yeah, 25 years or so um, from start to finish. So she mm -hmm. put us in business, um, which is great. And then our other institutional clients were people who, for whom I managed money under with my other, you know, my old by the firm. So there's a lot of trust that's needed um, sure. in managing money. And like you mentioned, this was not day trading at all. You chose mm -hmm. specific stocks where the, you said small cap. Can you kind yeah. of describe or yeah. explain what that means? So when I first started in the business, um, I worked for Chuck Royce, who's a small cap value maven guru um and small cap back then was anything with f under 500 million in market cap and then i'd say by the time i retired from from running money um i'd say small cap was like under 3 billion in market cap 
So it, this is sort of the smaller end of the spectrum. Just if you lay out market, the market capitalization range, this would be, this would be the smallest piece. So the Russell 2000 would be the benchmark for, for, um, for small cap stocks, you know, and the S&P 500 would be sort of the biggest 500 stocks. So, so these can range from very small market caps to, you know, five or two, it, it can be like five or 10 billion in market cap, more like 5 billion, but those are, those are smaller companies, but they're still plenty big mm. as companies go. Yeah. So you do a lot of one-on-one -on -one coaching for mm -hmm. people who have money and trying to figure out how to invest it or how to use it or how to move it along to, you know, preserve it so they don't mm -hmm. waste that money. Mm -hmm. uh, what's one of the common things that you encounter when you first start dealing with a client? So I think it, it, it can, um, there's almost everybody has a unique fingerprint because we're all like unique beings, right? Yes. And we have our own, the family stuff and our societal stuff and then our own personal experiences and our kind of neuro wiring. Um, but I think the, the, the one thing, the one message that I try to convey to everyone is how, how to feel empowered to take responsibility and stewardship for your assets and your wealth. That even if you outsource it to a financial planner uh, or a financial advisor, that the responsibility ultimately is yours. And that just because they know something more than you, they're more knowledgeable, doesn't mean that your bullshit detector should not be turned on <laughs> at all yes. times, right? Yes. Or that you shouldn't evaluate them or that you should forget that you're the client, you know? And I think sometimes I find, particularly if people didn't grow up being taught how to manage it, or say they're, you know, their ex did all the finances and, you know, they really have no idea that it's almost like they show up and they go, here, take my money, do whatever, right? And we wouldn't do that with our bodies. I mean, right. except in some very specific circumstances, right? But like, this mm -hmm. is not, but we do that with our money all the time. And, and there's something about like, you know, it can be so loaded. Like, I don't want responsibility. I don't know what to do with it. it, it you know, uh, what if I make mistakes? There, all, all the stuff that gets in our way gets in our way with money too. So whatever your thing is with money is also your thing in your relationships and your thing everywhere else. It's mm -hmm. with your relationship with yourself or whatever. Ultimately your relationship with your money is a reflection of your relationship with yourself, you know, and how you interact with in the world and how you deal with conflict and that kind of thing. So my number one thing is, is, is teaching knowledge is power. And then also a lot of people that I, I, I talk to really kind of don't want to know where they're at. Like, you know, and I just tell them, it's like a GPS, you know, it's your longitude and your latitude. And you can't plan if you don't know, you know, you can't plan your journey if you don't know where your starting point is. Yes. And there's no judgment, but like there's, there's, there's a lot of, there can be a lot of self-judgment around, I should be further along than I am. Why didn't I do, you know, right? All the regrets, <laughs> everything. But so we kind of don't want to know. Yes. <laughs> but the only way we can get empowered is to actually find out and know and then go, I am starting from here and I want to mm -hmm. go to Chicago or I'm starting from here and I want to go LA. And then you figure out like, what's the best way to go, you know, given where your starting point and your mode of transportation say, you know. No, you, what you said was very loaded, number one, but I was that person five years ago where uh -huh. the 
whatever wealth management company that my hospital or whoever right. trusted, they come in with their person and you sit down. How do you want to break up your, um, your retirement? I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. Now, right. this person could have just started the job and they don't really know about not everyone's going to have the experience mm -hmm. that you have when you sit down with them, you know, whether it's a CPA or a mm -hmm. financial planner. Many times they're trying to sell you a product, right. not help yep. you with your wealth management or help right. you learn about it. So I think literacy is key. And it wasn't yep. until I got interested enough to say, OK, I'm going to figure out the basics. I mm -hmm. won't know everything about stocks. I won't know, know everything about my portfolio, but I can at least know the basics so I can have a conversation where mm -hmm. when I sit down, the person had, knows that I have absolutely no clue about what's going on because that's how you get taken advantage of. Mm -hmm. um, and that goes back to where you mentioned some people don't are fearful of where they are or ashamed of where they are right. because of the relationship, that weird relationship with money. If you don't have money, that brings along some feelings. If you have mm -hmm. money, sometimes that brings along feelings of even shame or you know, because you feel that money is bad. Mm -hmm. Many cultures have been taught that if you have a lot of money, that you can't be rich and go to heaven, or you can't be rich and be nice to people. Right. Um, so there's a weird relationship with money. And, you know, I think that if you don't talk about money, then you're paralyzing yourself and you're halting the amount of growth that you can have. Yeah, a hundred percent. I agree with you. Absolutely. Yeah. So for someone who is coming into a large sum of money, or mm -hmm. let's talk about somebody who's starting a new job and they're mm -hmm. trying to set up their retirement, um, where would you advise them to start? So if you're young, well, just anybody in general, right? It's remove the cognitive load, right? So the more you automate, the more you make one big decision, and, and just have it be taken out of your paycheck, say, if, you know, right, then, and you get used to, you get used to that. And meanwhile, the money is being put to work. Mm -hmm. And then as your income grows, to not grow your expenses, right, to, to sort of your, you know, you, you want to enjoy life and your expenses can go up, but they just shouldn't go up one for one, right, that you can sort of enjoy that cushion and build that cushion particularly if you're young and starting out. And if you're starting out, the power of compounding, just time is your friend. So if you're, you just start, like even if it's $5, you've got the habit. And then you're mm -hmm. watching that $5 do its thing, right? Um, so that, that's my number one piece of advice is, is just start, don't overthink it. The other thing that I say is, look, you know, and I've seen this, I've, I, I, I was, helping a friend look at, she had a $6,000 IRA with a, an advisor. There were mm -hmm. 14 ETFs in a sixteen in a $6,000 IRA, mm -hmm. right? Too complicated. <laughs> way too complicated. And that, yeah. and they were taking 1% to manage a 6%, a $6,000 IRA, which should have been, you know, in a, in a, in a low cost target date fund, say, right? And it's a way to, let's make it complicated. So you don't know what's going on and it looks super complicated and we justify our fee. Right. And so that's the, the, the other thing is don't make it, you know, just do a target date fund, but just get started. That's the important mm -hmm. thing. And then as you get interested and as you get educated, then, you know, you might build your own asset allocation and do things differently, but just get started and don't make it complicated. And truthfully, the earlier you start, I mean, you really want your retirement to be boring, 
you don't want yes. your retirement <laughs> to be yeah. something that every quarter you're you know making these huge changes because right. where the market is. So let's yeah. talk about the longer you stay in the market, how the market corrects itself and over time, how you're going to usually win out with the market. Yeah. Um, one, one for, before we, we move yeah. on to that, Dr. B, I want to just point out that if you're somebody who has your own business or something as well, and you're used to putting money in your, your IRA into a, a, like a SEP IRA or something, uh, and you're used to doing in one lump sum at the end of the year around the time you do your taxes, because they'll, you know, they'll help reduce um, your taxes that you and you know, you do this every year, you might be better off along the way during the year, putting that money to work. Mm or putting it to work at the beginning of the year rather than one lump sum at the end of the year. Because again, you've lost a year and then you have the opportunity to dollar cost average. And rather than, than having to putting money right in one point in time in the market, you're kind of putting it and sometimes you, you buy more when the market's low, you buy less when it's up. And you would just end up dollar cost averaging over time ends up being beneficial. So if you know you're, that's something that I also see like people totally know that they have the 5,500 or the 6,000 or whatever to put in their IRA, but they just are not in the habit of doing it. And that's an opportunity missed. So I wanted to put that footnote there. Yeah. Um, Hold on. Well, let's stay there because you just took us into kind of entrepreneurial business uh -huh. owner okay. versus. So if you're working for an institution, they might have 403B, 401k. Exactly. They'll be that's, taking it out every other week. So that's right. happening for you automatically. Right. So you're good. You're yeah, absolutely it, good. This is for somebody who, who needs to make their own contribution. Yeah. Right. Right. And yeah. I want to just clarify that. Yeah. Okay. Good point. Sorry about right. that. Yeah. Now, do you remember what part two was? Oh, market gyrations over time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, this is where, like, if you look at, at you know, over, I don't know, over umpteen years, the S&P 500 has delivered a 7% annualized return every year, right? Mm -hmm. So it sounds mm -hmm. like, oh, it's 7%, 7%, 7%, but it's really more like 22% right. minus 15, right? So there's going to be lots and lots of ups and downs. Um, and, and the younger you are, like, the more aggressive you should be because you're not going to be touching that money for 40 years, mm -hmm. right? And so you want it to be in the sort of growthiest, most aggressive kinds of things, because then that should, in theory, you know, you're, you're, you can stomach the big ups and downs because you're not right. going to need that money for 40 years. It's your retirement money and, and all of that stuff. You know, if you're 60 and you're going to retire in five years, that's different. You want to be retiring when your account's down 40% or something. Right. All right. Um, so what about kind of the current financial situation that we're in, where the right. market has been high and now we're in a, a lull? Um, mm -hmm. But kind of speak to people who might have a fear of where we are now compared to where we will move or the way that the market will cycle eventually. Yeah. Um, so I was kind of known for, I had a, a consultant client who would come in and whenever like the world was falling apart, it would be like, I always like to visit you because you're always so excited and happy when the world is falling apart. <laughs> right, right. And, and because, and I was like, yeah, because this is when you see so many opportunities and you can buy such great companies when like, you know, people are just puking them up. This is great, you know? Mm -hmm. And then when like markets are ripping, you know, I'm sitting there like chewing my nails going, I don't know how long is this going to, you know? And so he loved it, but I'm kind of wired like a mutant. Like I, I get that, like, you know, when, when um, uh, that, that's, that's a little different, but um, here's the thing. Nobody flipping knows what the future mm -hmm. is going to be like, what it's going to bring, what it's going to be like. Nobody, not, it's impossible. Mm -hmm. 
and the future can have a giant range of outcomes. So part of the thing is that if you just say, I'm going to be in the market, I'm going to be in the market consistently. I'm going to be market in the market in a, in a well-diversified way, which means like not just two stocks, but like a bunch of stocks, a mix of stocks, bonds, real estate, whatever, you know, like you look at your whole thing. That is going to allow you to weather the sort of ups and downs in the markets without like losing your stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Like you won't like go, go have meltdowns. Now, if you're, you know, it's kind of like if you mortgage your house and you put everything and you take, buy a bunch of like hot stocks on margin, right? That's not going to bring peace of mind when the world falls apart. Yes. But when the world falls apart is when there's opportunity. So you kind of have to think like a fireman, you know, or you have to train yourself to run into the fire, not away from the fire. But think of the fire as opportunity. Mm -hmm. Especially when you've been doing it the right way and you've saved and, you know, this is the time, like you mentioned, that you get excited because if you have a nest egg and you have your finances under control and you now you can get a little more careless, so to speak, um, to be able to make some bigger investments that are going to pay off in the long run. Yeah. And the thing is, you don't know, could the market be down another 20% between now and year end? Yes. Mm-hmm. Could the market be up 20%? Yes. Nobody knows. Mm-hmm. Right. And so the market is constantly handicapping, readjusting every second of every minute. You know, it's constantly trying to sort of figure it out. But you have to time your time horizon is much longer than what's than these micro adjustments being made. So part of it is, you know, when the markets are down, like being if you have extra save, you know, there's there, there it's an opportunity to put more money to work. You know, and one of the things that institutions do, so in, you know, big, big pension funds, and what they'll mm-hmm. do is if there's an asset class that's been really under pressure for a long time like say real estate, it hasn't been the case, but say if it were that, they would actually take money. They would say, I want my portfolio to be 10% in real estate. And my stock portfolio is, you know, should be 20%, but it's 25%. They'll take that 5% because it grew and allocate it to the, to the real estate. They'll, so they're, they're rebalancing their portfolio um, to the area, taking money that's over outperformed to put it in the, in the area that's underperformed. So if you think about energy, for, for instance, right? So I mean, who could predict? Um, I mean, there are actually some signs, but you know what I mean, right? We have this energy thing going on because of the, the war in Ukraine. Uh, so energy stocks have, have been on fire. Right? There was a time when you couldn't give away an energy stock, hmm. right? It was just like, you know, and, and I'm putting aside the environmental concerns. I just mean yes. like just as, as just, you know, nobody wanted them. So whenever you have something that no, an asset class that nobody wants, but actually functions in the world, um, you know, it's not like uh, pet rocks in the 70s, you know, that right. was like a fad, right? And then yeah. nobody ever wanted a pet rock ever, right? But if it's something that actually does something in the real world, but people hate them, um, you know, there'll be a time when they might feel differently you know, so that the energy would be an example of that. So sometimes it's really useful to look at what's been what's done really well the prior year and what's done worst, and 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 just kind of look and you can see how stuff flips flip flops and changes around. So when 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 it's been in the toilet, that means that everybody's sold, 
right? The results are bad. Everybody's already sold. No one wants it. That means mm. expectations are really low. That means anytime there's something slightly better, right? Then there's buying demand that gets created. So that's why looking, you know, having kind of a contrarian point of view can be helpful, but you want to be well diversified too. I think yeah. that's for, for the retail investor, you want to be thinking low cost ETFs that are diversified and not trying to time. I mean, you can make money day trading. If right. you're a professional day trader and you're really, really good at reading the tape, that's a hard, this is not a hobby. This is something you have to really do. Um, and I think sometimes um, the quality of life is a lot better if you have a longer term horizon and you're well diversified and you're not trying to make, you know, two and a half cents every three seconds. Yeah. Personally, I'd, I'd rather live with more mental space, headspace. Sure. So you mentioned earlier the relationship between our money and somebody who we're trusting to take care of that money. Mm -hmm. So what are some tips that you would give the audience for um, how to interview someone who you're going to trust with your money or what questions should we be asking before you just sign the line and say, yes, I trust you to, to invest my money for me. Um, so one thing is just to understand their background, because you have a lot of people who put their hands on other people's money and they have very different backgrounds. So if somebody is an accountant, they might be really good at accounting and really understand tax but that doesn't make them good investors necessarily. Mm -hmm. If somebody was an insurance agent, right? And, and there are some investing you know, aspects to insurance, but they maybe started out there. Um, you know, they may not, they, they're gonna be biased a certain way just because of our training, right? So a financial planner is gonna come at it differently than somebody who is uh, say in the wealth management area of a large bank, right? or somebody who is in a brokerage firm. So part of it is looking at their, at their backgrounds and their training. Um, so that's one, one place to understand kind of where they're coming from. And I think it's, it's, it's really important to be okay not knowing and to ask questions from that place of being okay with not knowing and then seeing how you feel based on the responses you get. So if in your body, because I really believe that like we have a very good gut, generally speaking, mm -hmm. if you feel like you're befogged, that interaction is not healthy. Because if you're your average, reasonably intelligent human being, right? If the person you're talking to leaves you feeling in a fog, it's not just you. Right, so you don't you want to work with somebody who helps you feel clearer about your thinking, not foggier. If you feel like a concussion grenade has gone off, like there's a lot of noise, a lot of smoke, a lot of right, um, that's not that's yeah. not how you you know. So get it's up and of, run. <laughs> right, exactly. It's like why are they why are they throwing jargon at me? Why are they telling? Why are they being? They're being condescending. If they're being patronizing, right? If they're if they're if they're at all making you feel shamed or 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 you know that's because this is a lot of there's a lot of the industry that's about gathering assets and not really about like proper stewardship. And I see a lot of people like that six thousand dollar IRA should have been a self directed IRA should have been in a target fund, low cost. 
you know, and actually with that person, their, their advisor actually sat on that money for six months at a time when, when, when it would have been really good if they put it to work, because I think it just fell through the cracks. So, so, so number one is their background. Number two is how do you feel when you talk to them and ask the questions and there is no such thing as a stupid question for real, right? And if they're not willing to educate you, that means that they don't want clients who are, uh, who are intelligent or who are, who are educated. You know, they don't want to partner with you. Ah, that's right. a better way of putting yeah. it, right? You want someone who's going to feel like a partner with you where they'll, they'll, they'll explain to you, these are the choices, these are the reasons, these are, you know, if, if, if it were me, this is what I might do. Um, and, and they never forget that it's your money and that you are paying them. If you feel like you're working for the other person and you're the one paying them, that is a big red flag. So part of it is how, how, how do you feel? Like, it's okay not to know. It's totally fine. It's how do you feel with what they're doing? And then there are some tips about how, how to actually look at what they're doing too. But um, that would be my, my first thing is that I think so many people check their instincts at the door mm -hmm. because they feel like they don't know enough so they gaslight themselves but if you feel crappy about the interaction find somebody who doesn't make you feel crappy now if there's somebody who just knows you and yeses you to death and whatever that's not healthy either and hopefully you have the right kind of ego to be able to tell the difference but if you don't yeah. i can't help you yeah. <laughs> and one thing too my wife and i we do money matters together um, and i think that helps because She's the question asker, <laughs> you know, uh -huh. if something doesn't yeah. smell right, she's going to ask questions until she feels good about it. Uh -huh. And I think yeah. somebody has to take on that role because yeah. if you just sit there and nod your head, you'll be signing off on something that you really have no clue about. Yeah. Um, but make sure you get a good understanding. And I think that's what you yeah. kept saying over and over, really. Yeah. And I think transparency is really important. You want people who are very biased to towards transparency. Like they're very upfront about, okay, these are the fees. These are like, you know, and this is the other thing is you can ask whether are, are these all the fees specifically, what are the specific, right? And so whenever somebody score doesn't answer your question directly, that's a big mm -hmm. warning sign. So, so it's great. And I think doing money together is really good because it's the same way, like you're a doctor, right? If somebody has something going on, Right. It's good if there's somebody with them because the patient is not right. always in the headspace to be hearing everything. Absolutely. Right? <laughs> so when so when there's a two of you there, right, then then the patient's sort of consent to a procedure or something can be you can you can feel like, you know, they have somebody who who, who can kind of complete the the you know, you feel more confident that the consent is informed because mm -hmm. that other person has a capacity like your wife. You know, right. that other person's asking all the good questions and then that, that makes you feel more, more, more confident. And I think doing couples doing money together is, is really good. It, it's, there's no question that if you have more than one mind working at it, you'll get better results. Yeah, just kind of in the words of Dave Ramsey, there's always a nerd and a free spirit, right? And right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it helps yeah. to have that balance. So. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, there's a risk taker, there's somebody who's risk averse. And, you know, if you, can, if you can sort of meet in the middle, you're probably going to be all right, you know? Yeah. So over your period of, over your career, I'm sure you've mm -hmm. dealt with a lot of wealthy, truly wealthy people. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, so what are some things that, you know, I like to have these conversations mm -hmm. between my colleagues. Sometimes we talk uh -huh. about being rich versus being wealthy. What yeah. are some of the common habits, so to speak, of wealthy people? Um, 
so I think for one thing is that they they there's that kind of sense of um, safety, I guess, and confidence. Because if you have enough of a financial cushion, you don't sort of sweat the small things, right? But I think just because you have money doesn't mean that you, or that you're capable of making money doesn't necessarily mean that you're a good steward of that money or that you're in a healthy relationship with that. Because oftentimes in wealthy families, I've seen there's, it can be whatever is dysfunctional can also be, be transmitted through money, either right. the use of it to manipulate and control that kind of thing. And so then it can be, you can end up associating money, you know, money with, with, with bad things, right? That, that, so um, I, I think the other thing that wealthy people really know how to do is to, is to, um, they just have certain frames. So this is interesting, because I'm not sure you can have money, but not have sort of frames that help you think about money. So like a dollar, you can have $2 bills, mm. right? And then they're not equal value, right? But like, that understanding, okay, an after-tax dollar is worth more than a pre-tax dollar, right? right? A yeah. liquid dollar is worth more than an illiquid dollar, really, right? Like simple things like that that are mental frameworks around money. People who are grew up in business or or who who you know who, whose family haven't talked about it talked about it. That's important. Like what you're doing with your kids, um, they understand these things, and so like they know how to use debt in a way that. Uh, is not likely to, you know, they're not afraid of debt and they're not likely to take on too much debt either and, and then wipe themselves out, right? Because there's a kind of, um, they're, they're, they can separate out the commercial from the emotional. Maybe that's the difference, yeah, I would like say, that. is, is yeah. the ability to separate the two up. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, very good. All right, so on time out with the sports doctor, this is your final time out. So you've seen a lot of money move you know, come and go. I'm sure you've seen people have money, lose money. You've seen people inherit a lot of money. Um, but let's speak now to the young professional who mm -hmm. is, you know, going through all this schooling, you have some debt and you are just now getting a real paycheck, so to speak. Um, how would you advise that person to, number one, develop a relationship with their money and learn about their money and start their career so that you can be set up for success in the future. So one resource that I really recommend to almost everybody is um, Ramit Sethi, uh, who's a personal finance guru, I guess, who wrote a book called I Will Teach You How to Be Rich, which he sort of regrets that whole title. <laughs> um, but he wrote it after he graduated from Stanford. He had a personal finance blog. Um, and um, his that book is a really great introduction to and he has a lot of resources that are free on on his website a lot of um resources around just how to educate so i would say automate number one so that you don't think about it and you mm -hmm. get good habits just because you set it up to make it easy you're not making a decision every month as to where to put money it's got it's so automate start as early as you can to let it compound right time is your friend when you're young um Put as much if whatever, if you have a 401k, your company matches it, you definitely want it. That's free money for your company. You definitely want to get that, whatever those percents, that percentage is. And if you can, uh, you know, put it, put it, uh, squirrel away as much as you can. Um, the other thing is, um, um, you know, it's not, it, it, so debt. So if, because, right, because now like 
people graduate with a lot more debt than they used to when I graduated from yes. college at 83. I mean, it's a huge burden, right? Having a plan is, is, is important for it. So if you have a plan, then you're going to feel in control. It's really easy to look at that big number and just flip out relative to what you're making. But if you have a plan, then you know when my last payment is going to be, right? Mm -hmm. And you should also do it so you're not depriving yourself of joy and enjoying that money because you're finally making bank, right? You're out of school, you're making money. You should enjoy it because if you're just, you know, saving everything and you're trying to pay off that debt and you're not enjoying it like that's no way to live and you're not going to be bringing your best self to the world to your work to your relationships you're going to be it's going to make you very have a scarcity mindset and nobody wants to be hanging around with 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 that you know there's a richness to your life that you're giving up but if you have a plan and if you're like this is great my debt is great because it got me to medical school Right. Right. And that got me doing what I'm doing. And there's no problem with that debt. Mm -hmm. Right. Because there's a lot of demonizing of debt. There's no problem with that as long as I have a plan. Right. And I manage my debt appropriately. And, you know, I, I live within my means or if I don't, because I'm going to take a vacation, but I have a real plan to pay it down that actually includes the fact that I'm paying a lot of interest on my credit card debt. Sorry. Um, then, then that's fine, you know? But I, I would say that's the main thing. If you have debt, have a plan, automate, uh, and start investing right away. Definitely take advantage of your 401k. Um, and don't make it, if you, and start building not just your emergency fund, but your wealth fund too. And have a piece of it that's your joy tithe. There's a, an influencer on, on TikTok who is an intellectual property lawyer. Um, and, you know, she takes her bonus and she takes, you know, a chunk of it to go down to pay down all her law school debt. And then she takes money that's her joy money and she'll go buy a Chanel, you know, purse, handbag. And, and cause she worked really, really hard. And, right. you know, and I think that's important to sort of realize that your money is money is just energy. So it's a tangible form of, of energy and, and um, you know, capital is just sort of built up energy and it's kind of, what do you do with the capital? to deploy so if you look at your debt as you invested in yourself i think that's you want to be in good relationship with your debt when it's educational debt you know i like what you said about that number one having a healthy relationship with your debt but also having a plan and it's your plan not your friend's plan not your family's right. plan but your plan um, I remember starting off with Dave Ramsey, which I think yeah. has some very valid points and principles, yeah. but the beans and rice and rice and beans doesn't <laughs> fit yeah. with everyone after you've been in medical school or training for yeah. 10, 12, 15 years. Yeah. And you say, look, I want to at least be able to have a good meal every once in a while or go on a vacation yeah. every once in a while. So, mm -hmm. and debt, you know, that's another thing. The relationship with debt is debt is not always bad because- right. When you're poor, you think debt is a bad thing. When you're wealthy, you don't worry about debt. You just right. move that, the assets around. Um, right. So having a healthy relationship with your money, having your own plan. You know, if Dave Ramsey doesn't work for you, there are plenty of plans out there, especially for a high earner of how mm -hmm. you can use, especially good debt, educational debt. Um, mm -hmm. If you have a low interest rate, you know, three, five percent, which is some of the, when I was coming through school, medical school loans were at their lowest that they had ever been. So if I have something that's three percent, 
that right. debt, I don't need to rush that. I can be investing and making more money. So yeah, just have your own you plan. Do. Yeah, no, I think that's that's really um, that's really important having having your own plan. And um, shoot, there was something about about the debt that was that just escapes me now. Um, yeah, sorry. No problem. <laughs> just uh, just just you know, it's just there's there's so much richness to all of this. Uh, yeah. There's so many different aspects, and and the idea of um, oh, I know what I want to say. This is actually really important. One thing that I also find in talking, you know, and working with people around money is that the the demonization of debt right so i'll often find people are over saving like there are some people who are really yes. great but they're over saving to illiquid well that's good you know but yeah. but they're over saving to illiquid assets yes. so they'll put everything in the retirement fund which is like great for future you future you's gonna love it right but uh um current you might need some cash because you know maybe you're disabled for six months and you can't work right um and the same thing is they'll prepay their mortgage to your point it might be like a two percent mortgage they'll be throat prepaying it which is good i mean yes you know Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. but you have a two percent mortgage and you could be earning more but also it's you're putting liquid money into an illiquid asset. And at the same time, they have no emergency fund. They have nothing liquid. They don't have a brokerage, you know, they don't have an investment account. So they save a lot, but then they put it all in things that that if they were in a crisis, they wouldn't have that flexibility. And also prepaying your mortgage just means you're not going to pay for your house five times over, but you're also not going to get the power of compounding that if you start investing over 20 years. So there, there are definitely calculations that you can do when it would make sense to prepay your mortgage, but a lot of people just automatically start throwing money at their mortgage. And it, that may not be the right thing to do. That was the other thing that I found that was sort of surprising is, is uh, um, you know, you, again, to your point, you wanna use debt in, in the right way. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for the wealth of knowledge that you brought to this show. Uh, this is an episode that I need to sit down and listen to multiple times because it's a lot um, to really just digest it. Um, so what? How tell my audience how they can follow you, how they can keep up with what you're doing, and if they want to work with you one-on-one, how they can reach out to you. Sure. So my website is Mariko Gordon, um, and, which I think is going to be in the show notes. So it's M-A-R-I-K-O Gordon. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Mariko Gordon CFA, LinkedIn, you know, everywhere. I'm going to be doing a class um, in September on financial intimacy for business owners. So there, I've found a lot of business owners are really good at running their businesses, but they're not super comfortable with the love language of their business. Maybe they've had some math anxiety. Maybe they've been terrorized by spreadsheets or accountants, right? And 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 they they they're just not. And I feel like it's kind of like if you're in a sexless marriage, or if you're if you're like lots of booty calls but no emotional intimacy, <laughs> right? I mean, I'm just saying, like yeah. it could be your thing, but if it's not, you may want to have more more about. And so you know, being comfortable in the financials, knowing how to hear the story that's been told is, is, and how to, how to sort of talk back, have a conversation with your Mm -hmm. business is, is something that I thought that, um, that I'm going to be teaching. And I want to give this example really quickly, which is that, you know, if you, if your, your kid shows up with a fever of 104, right, you don't start thinking what's wrong with my kid, like as a character flaw, what's wrong with me, I must be a 
bad parent because my child has a fever of 104, right? right? You get curious, right? How long has you had the fever? Is it going up? Is it going down? What are some other symptoms? Do we go to the emergency room? Do we not? Do we call, right? You, you don't make data, bad data, a fever of 104, mm-hmm. be a character judgment, a character flaw. And a lot of people in their business do that. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, so so part of that, the financial intimacy is to how to have curiosity about the story your business is telling you and how to hear that story. Because financials are just numbers are just, it's another language. And it's the love language of your business. So why wouldn't you not want to speak the love language of your business and be really comfortable with that? So that's that's what I'm doing in, in September. But otherwise, I'm, I'm on Medium, I'm on, you know, uh, Facebook um, and um I write a lot about, about these things. Um, you know, it's a very rich topic, everything from the markets to, to sort of money psychology. Absolutely. Absolutely. Once again, thank you for sharing with us. Um, I will get that information to pass along to the audience about how, if they're interested in coming up and in, in, in enrolling in your upcoming course, how they can do that. Um, and just thank you for coming on. Well, thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. I know we went in a lot of places. And if you ever yeah. want me to just focus on one thing, <laughs> I know I can do that. So No, but this um, is good. This is, it's a, this is the bird's eye view. And then you can always yeah. hone in on something specifically. Yeah. yeah, that'd be great. All right. Thank you again. Thank you. Thank you for continuing to support this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then please leave a five-star review. And if you haven't done so, subscribe so you continue to get the updated episodes. Until later, peace.